And welcome, everyone, to our Sunday edition during this bye week for the University of Alabama. Uh, as we are going to preview on BAM's radio today, the Alabama Crimson Tide's biggest game of the year now. Yes, bigger than Texas because this has conference, uh, you know, what SEC West implications big time and the ability to control your own destiny to get to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. And that's, of course, as it has been since 2007 when Nick Saban came to town, Alabama and LSU, so much at stake. Last year, LSU gets to Atlanta because they knocked off Alabama 32-31 to in Baton Rouge on a two-point conversion. Alabama already has gotten one revenge uh, game under their belt as they beat uh, the, the, uh, the University of Tennessee and uh, for the 16th time in 17 tries under Nick Saban as they send – uh, the throw-up orange of the Vols home with a loss, 34-20, to 20, uh, with a comeback of the ages in the second half, a 27 to nothing shutout that we uh, rehashed last Sunday. Alabama gets the win over the Vols. Now their biggest challenge, though, facing the SEC Player of the Year, in my opinion, Jaden Daniels, especially with the injury uh, to Brock Bowers. But Jaden Daniels, uh, the best player I've seen in the SEC, I think he should be the front-runner for the Heisman Trophy. I know LSU has two uh, losses, certainly, to an undefeated uh, Florida State team. And then Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss Rebels, who are still, uh, you know, rolling along as they destroyed Vanderbilt last night. Their only loss to Alabama earlier this season. So they're still very much alive in the SEC West race and to get to Atlanta as well. And even under the radar for the college football playoff, though everybody knows in a couple of weeks the looming thing for the Ole Miss Rebels is the Georgia Bulldogs in Athens, and that may be where uh, Ole Miss gets uh, exposed again because certainly Billy Napier and the Florida Gators did, much like the Gators did in 2011 against Alabama in the Swamp when they scored on a deep ball early to go up 7 nothing. The Swamp was, was uh, bonkers. Everybody thought the Gators had a chance to beat Alabama, and then the offensive line, Trent Richardson and, uh, and A.J. McCarron dropped hammers for the rest of the game on uh, the Florida Gators. And don't forget, uh, J uh, John Brantley, their quarterback, ended up in the hospital, thanks to Courtney Upshaw, and Alabama destroyed Florida. Well, Georgia did the same thing uh, as they just ended up – it was 43-20, to 20, but not that close. The Dogs pulled away and destroyed the Florida Gators. So Georgia is looking very strong, even without Brock Bowers. So they look like they're the big favorite in the SEC East. I still think they will even dispatch of Tennessee and Knoxville. A lot of people are giving Tennessee a chance because uh, Josh Heupel has never lost in Knoxville. But Josh Heupel, uh, you know, I'll just say this. I, I don't see him beating uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. I just really don't. I don't think it's going to happen. We'll see. Uh, certainly they'll give it their best shot. But the way Alabama handled in the second half, Georgia is uh, even more talented in some ways than Alabama. So, we will see, but this is a huge challenge for the Tide coming up. An offense for LSU that's elite, averaging over 40 points per game, uh, and uh, he has an elite player at every skill position, has an improving offensive line. Now, I think they're weak on defense, and you know we'll talk about that later in the show, but this is going to be a huge challenge for the University of Alabama. I said, I think even last week on the show, I thought that the spread would be four to four and a half. I said it this morning on our Bama recap on 97-7 the zone. It came out this afternoon. Once again, Alabama's a four-and-a-half-point favorite 
three points of that given to home field. So really, this is close to being a pick'em game, and we're going to talk about this contest and even a little basketball at the end as well, as Alabama's got two exhibitions under their, uh, uh, you know, belt now. And this, and I was able to watch practice Friday. So at the end of this Bams Radio episode, I'll give some thoughts on basketball and you know where Alabama's, uh, you know, needs uh, to work what they need to work on and kind of where they've impressed and. They're going to open their season at home against Moorhead State uh, coming up a week from Monday on November the 6th. But right now we're talking football. We're talking Alabama, LSU, huge implications nationally and for the SEC West. And we're going to talk about it with our two cohorts in the port city of Mobile, Thomas the Wizard Watch, producing the show, giving us his outstanding takes, both from an analytical standpoint and his thoughts on this matchup, the keys to the game, and, of course, from 89 to 93, a national champion, William Redfish Barger, who uh, put on the uniform and who, of course, has uh, the, his ear to the ground and is still very close to the program. William, uh, we've kind of been had our eyes on this game since Alabama, uh, you know, beat the Ole Miss Rebels when a lot of people thought their backs were against the wall. Since they beat Ole Miss, they've beaten Texas A&M on the road. They certainly took care of Tennessee. But this is the game everybody's been looking to because of Jaden Daniels. This is going to be Alabama's. Uh, I don't. I'm, I, I don't mind saying this. I, I don't. LSU is not as good as Texas defensively, but still, this is going to be as big a challenge as Alabama has seen. Because I'm not afraid to say this LSU offense may be better than the one Texas had. Yeah. No. I mean, that's that's my biggest concern too, Drew. Is you know, I, I mean, I would love to, uh, you know, be an NFL GM right now and 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 trade. Uh, Caden Proctor at left tackle for Will Campbell and also Jalen Milrow for Jaden Daniels. Um, but you know, that, that offense, um, you know, it's, it, it's going to be a challenge for, you know, Kevin Steele and all the people that he employs on that side of the ball. I mean, it truly is basketball on grass. Um, you, you know, I, I've watched him play, you know, three or four times this year and, um, you know, they do a great job of, of, you know, distributing the football to their, um, you know, elite wide receivers. And, and you know, when, when those wide receivers catch, you know, just a, a standard, you know, 10 to 15 yard back shoulder throw on the far left sideline, it's like, you know, they've all been coached to, you know, put one foot in the ground and, and just, you know, go across the other side of the field and, outrun the rest of the defense. I mean, it, you know, it's going to be a big challenge um, defensively for, uh, you know, Kevin Steele to kind of slow this unit down. Now, that being said, you know, if you look at the two schedules, um, you know, and the defenses that, you know, that LSU has played up to this point versus Alabama, and it's, you know, it's going to be a big matchup. You know, you got college game day that are going to be down there. Uh, you know, and they're going to sell it, you know, for their, their programming. Um, but, you know, to me, um, you know, LSU is going to score some points. There's no doubt about that. But to me, the, you know, I think the big question is, um, you know, can, can the Alabama offense under Tommy Reese, um, you know, keep pace with them? Um, you know, you know, I, I think, you know, as an Alabama fan, we can all agree, you know, the most frustrating thing about this 2023 season has been, you know, watching that offense 
for Alabama, um, you know, produce a lot of, you know, you know, whether it's Texas A&M, Old Miss, Tennessee, uh, you know, you, you watch them fall asleep in the first half and, you know, they don't get anything done from a production standpoint, but then they come back in the second half and, and play like gangbusters. And, you know, the thing that's frustrated me the most is, you know, you expect that production that you see them produce in the second half to kind of carry over to the next game in the first half. And, you know, that hasn't happened yet. But, you know, this is a game where if they show up and they sleepwalk through the first half and, you know, the Alabama defense can't slow down LSU's dynamic offense, which, like you've already said, might be the best offense in college football, you know, the hole that's been dug in the first half might be too big to dig out of. Yeah, there's no question. I I would agree, William. I, I said, you know, I was on the radio in WWL in New Orleans with Mike Dettelier and, and Bobby Hebert yesterday, and that you can tell I know they're both very confident in LSU, especially offensively, but they know Alabama presents some challenges defensively, but they're very confident that that LSU can win some battles up front along the offensive line, and I think their receivers against Alabama's DBs, especially if Alabama can't get home and, and get to the quarterback. And Jaden Daniels' mobility is a huge factor. Now, um, they were able to get to, uh, you know, Jackson Dart and make him uh, feel Alabama, and he's got good mobility, but he's not the athlete Jaden Daniels is, but Alabama is going to have to try to contain Daniels and get to him. They're going to have to hit him. They're going to have to make him feel them. And they're going to have to – they didn't win the turnover battle against Tennessee. They've got to win it. They've got to find a way to steal some possessions and, and force Daniels into a mistake to force him maybe – force a fumble to do something. Because a lot of people are talking about uh, FSU and how they looked. But remember, they didn't have Logan Diggs. They didn't have John Emery. So their running back room looks a lot different and they're running the football better and they're certainly better since that time. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Alabama can do against Daniels. At the same time, though, I think if Milrow, if they if they if they build on what they did against Tennessee and they bury the running game up, attack inside and out. And then Milrow is a willing runner and does a, a, a good job of running a zone read type deal at, at times. He's taking better care of the ball in that way. Now. He had a strip sack loss. He's got to climb the pocket against LSU and get rid of the ball. And again, like I said, they've got to put together four quarters of good, of really good football to win this game. And uh, Thomas, I wanted to bring you into the conversation. Uh, also, a big part of it is the injury report. Uh, you know, we know Alabama had Terry on Arnold banged up at the end of the uh, game against Tennessee, but he's already been practicing. So, we expect him to be healthy. We expect Malachi more. But how does the injury report kind of look on both sides? So uh, both teams did have a bye this past weekend. But something that broke earlier this, well, I guess last week, late last week, is LSU has some real serious questions at cornerback. Um, Zy Alexander was hurt um, in the Army game. 
unfortunately there hasn't been like a serious update. I would expect to hear more on Monday. Like if I was if I was covering LSU, I'm chomping at the bit to ask about health of particularly cornerbacks. I don't want to interrupt you there. I want to tell you though, I'm mm. glad you mentioned that. The two guys in New Orleans, Vitillier and Haybear, especially Mike, they did not sound optimistic that Alexander would play. Well, if that's the case, I think Zy Alexander is their best player back there. So that's a big loss. And on top of the Zy Alexander situation, you had you're talking about kind of the worst of all worlds for this LSU Tigers defense. If you remember in the offseason, LSU brought in a ton of transfers and a ton of them were in the secondary. You know, you jump over and look at one of their depth charts and they're just littered with new players, particularly on their their backup set of, of football players. You know, Brian Kelly saw a weakness and Brian Kelly did what he could do to try and address it. Well, a lot of the guys that they brought in are already injured um, or they were, they were unable to play against army and there hasn't really been an update since, or in some cases like a certain Harris comma Denver, not really doing what he needs to do to have the success that he needs to have to play. So in, in the absolute worst case scenario, you're talking about having to play players on the road in their first big start against, I mean, a good set of skill players. You know, Alabama's wide receivers are a good group. And Milrow, while inconsistent, and if I say one more time that asking him to throw over the middle from the 10 to 20-yard mark makes me want to scream, I think some of our listeners will find my house and burn it down. But that all being said, you're, you're talking about that situation evolving for the LSU defense and, you know, what would fans think? Well, you absolutely can't do the stuff that Alabama does. Now, LSU doesn't really want to do the pattern match zone man stuff, the combo coverages that Nick Saban adores. But you're going to really struggle with complicated defensive schemes. So what are you going to do? You're going to do cover two man under for four quarters? Well, if you do cover two man under for four quarters, Jalen Milrow will throw for three or 400 yards, and you will get the track meet that you've always wanted because those guys won't be able to check LSU. And that will open up the running game because you'll be able to get hats on hats, and you won't be able to overload the box because Alabama will just blow the top off that. Do you do, like, you know, some kind of zone look? Okay, you're going to have to do some kind of mix, but you're going to see, essentially, pull up your Madden game, your basic defense sets, and they're at, they scheme out of a four-three. So, open up your open up your uh, your Madden game, and just look at the basic defensive plays. You know the stuff that you can't do a lot of wackadoodle stuff with, and then how are you going to communicate amongst this group of players if you need to audible? So I would be very alarmed if I was an LSU fan. And if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm watching to see what does the LSU secondary look like? Because you're absolutely right when it comes to LSU's offense being elite. They are, I think they are the best offense in the country. Um, now, some of that has helped that they haven't played a ton of great defenses, but they still have performed at an exceptionally high level throughout. 
The problem is the LSU Tiger defense has really just been holding on. You know, they're just good enough to let the offense go score a quadzillion, except in their two losses, you know, 24 points against Florida State. Well, Florida State scored 45. And then that wild 55-49 game on the road at Ole Miss. But the, the issue when you get into all of that is, is the LSU defense, when it's trotting out a bunch of folks that haven't played a ton of good football, haven't played a ton of football, period, are they going to make this Alabama offense, which hasn't really done great in terms of efficiency, are they bad enough that Alabama becomes efficient? Uh, I would direct fans, uh, one of the guys at Roll Bama Roll did a breakdown of the Alabama offensive statistics. And the big thing that came out of that analysis, and essentially when you're looking at those statistics, the, the, the bugaboo is three and outs for this Alabama offense and lower production from the running backs. Now, lower production from the running backs is kind of a catch-all because there are like five or six things that impact that. But if that goes away and Alabama is able to run at three and a half, four yards a clip consistently and not be behind the sticks because the LSU defense can't just hold on, suddenly you can get into a mid-20s game because Alabama can just play keep away for four quarters. So, again, if I'm an Alabama fan... I'm, I'm, I'm tuning into Nick Saban's press conference on, t- on Monday because, duh. But I'm also real interested to see what uh, Brian Kelly is going to say in his weekly start of the week conference because I can tell you if I was still a journalist and I was a beat writer for LSU, I am like writing in blood, ask the injury question, and telling my coworkers to ask the injury question because that's a huge deal going into next Saturday, Drew. Well, it is, and not before William comes back into the conversation, I'll just say this about Denver Jones. Uh, everybody should uh, – not Denver Jones, pardon me, Denver Harris. Denver Jones is a basketball player uh, at uh, Auburn that played at Buckhorn here in my community and had 18 points in their uh, win over Furman today in an exhibition, so a shout-out to him since he's from my area. But Denver Harris, that he would never want to be associated with, Basically, was Tokyo drifting before he got booted out of dirt neck land in Texas A&M and was not uh, a guy that was doing things the right way. At LSU, from what I understand, he's not even practicing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, you might even want to uh, – everybody might want to check the police blotter because I don't even know. I mean, uh, wouldn't surprise me, uh, you know, if he's in prison by now uh, based, based upon his, uh, his character and his – uh, and just the things he's been doing off the field, he's not – he is a talented player, but he has not been a guy that's been reliable. Uh, so he, he could be having some off-the-field concerns big time. And like Thomas said, it's not good when you're playing you're, – you're the best team you've played all year, uh, potentially. I mean, Florida State's very, very good as well. But I don't think Florida State has the defense Alabama does. But you're playing a true road game, and you don't really know – what your secondary is going to look like. Of course, they, the young man, the transfer from Arkansas, has had the cancer diagnosis. That's something they can't control. That's very sad. Uh, but LSU, they're, they're going to have to depend on this offense to score and score a lot. And so it's up to Kevin Steele and Alabama to slow them down. And, William, the one thing that I do take solace in is I know it's a different time, different situation, but this LSU offense, you know, with their weapons, Brian Thomas Jr., uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, Malik Neighbors, Kyron Lacey, then, then Mason Taylor, uh, also the two backs I already mentioned. 
Diggs and Emery. They remind me a lot. Not quite as good as this 19 group, but still very, very, very good. And so Alabama is going to have to find a way to get some stops and slow them down. And I remember Kevin Steele and Auburn, and I'll say this, I don't think this uh, that, that Auburn defense had as much talent as this Alabama one that he's coaching. They slowed down LSU that year and made the game very competitive. So having two weeks to prepare gives me some confidence in Coach Steele and T-Rob. Give themselves a chance to win the game. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, you know what you're talking about is, you know, Kevin Steele and, and you know, that defensive personnel that they have, you know, as, as far as slowing down the offense, um, you know, I think that's a good plan. But where things become difficult is, you know, can the Alabama offense keep pace? And, you know, we really haven't, you know, seen a, you know, track meet type of, you know, game so far this year. I mean, maybe not since Texas. Um, you know, I, I think that's where it becomes a problem is, you know, it, you know, if you're asking me if I think Kevin Steele can, you know, slow down the LSU offense, absolutely I think he can. But then you have to flip back over to, you know, the offensive game plan and say, you know, do, do you think that, you know, Alabama can keep up with Jalen Milrow? Um, I would say this, you know, my, my take on this would be if he can, um, then you won't hear me bitch about him anymore, you know, on this podcast the rest of the year. Because if he can, um, that that that's going to send, you know, Alabama to, you know, the the Georgia Dome for the SEC championship game, and that's a big deal. Yeah, it is, and there's no doubt. I mean, they're going to have to to build on, as I said earlier in the show. I'm anxious to see what Reese comes up with when these two weeks. I love the Debo package with Kendrick Law. They need to continue to get him involved on the edges in the run game and even as a receiver. Uh, certainly, he's going to have to make two or three explosive throws. Uh, two guys like Jermaine Burton, Isaiah Bond, and, and with what Thomas said about their secondary, what we already said about Denver Jones or Denver Harris, pardon me, Denver Harris's availability, uh, and what we, you know, and, and, and really in Alexander's injury situation, there should be uh, a situation where Alabama can win some one-on-one -on -one battles of their own. Uh, Burton has uh, had his best year so far and been a first-team All-SEC type guy. Uh, certainly, uh, Almari Nyblack has been able to make plays. Uh, I'd like to see him get involved. Bond, they're going to have to spread it out. And I think also, I like the running game against Tennessee. I thought, uh, you know, Jason McClellan had his best game. Roy Dell will be involved. We'll see if they involve, uh, you know, the, the two younger backs. Probably not a, a lot except on special teams, probably with, uh, you know, certainly uh, Justice Haynes and Jam Miller, but you never know. I mean, I just think you're going to have to vary it up, though, continue to use Milrow as a willing runner, both zone read-wise in certain situations uh, when they're keying on the backs, and also uh, he's going to have to pull it at the right time, which he did against Tennessee a couple times, uh, read that correctly, and even just improvise with his legs. Climb the pocket. He climbed the pocket of the second half. 
He's got to help out, uh, you know, uh, Caden Proctor in that regard. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, the plan Alabama has because I, I think they have the weapons as well to hurt LSU. And it's going to be crucial in two areas, well, really three. Alabama was much better in the penalty phase. I think only one called against Tennessee. And by the way, guys, Tennessee had nine more penalties last night. I know the inbred Hicks won the game, but was that all? Are the officials still all against Tennessee since they had nine more penalties for 70 yards? To me, that is a coaching issue. It's not that the SEC offense is out to get uh, the toothless rednecks. So I just thought I would uh, throw that out there uh, since Tennessee still thinks it was the officials. Uh, a lot of their fans that beat out, that you know beat them and not Alabama kicking the shit out of them, twenty-seven to nothing in the second half. But I can say that on this podcast, and I will. Alabama owns your ass. You've lost sixteen out of seventeen. Deal with it, you inbred rednecks. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but uh, but like I say, um, but you know, I, I think overall, I think this it's going to be key for Alabama to stay on schedule. They, they, they turned it over twice against the balls. They can't have two turnovers against LSU because LSU is just too explosive. They've got to protect it. They've got to win. It's three, by, three, three things here. They've got to keep the penalties to a minimum. They've got to win the turnover battle, somehow force a couple from LSU, and I think Thomas to bring you back in. Alabama's got to win the time of possession somehow against this LSU team, and if Dayton Downs is on the sidelines, he can't score. Well, I think that's the path forward, Drew. If 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 I'm if I'm drawing up the ideal game plan for Alabama, I think realistically you're not going to be like if it's a good game if you hold LSU under thirty. So your your goal has to be well, what does that look like? And it comes back to play keep away. You know, yes, Jalen Milrow will hit a couple of bombs if the secondary is as beat up as it looks. You know, a week before the game, that's uh, that, that's 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 a bad look. Suffice it to say, but again, I know I said it once, but I think it bears repeating. The LSU pass defense was already bad. It's probably going to be worse. That's where the that's where LSU's really really struggled. But Ole Miss ran for three hundred on LSU, and you know, and, and the Ole Miss game was really weird because that the LSU defense gave up so many yards they kind of broke. <laughs> statistics they also kind of break my head when i look at that number uh but anyhow if alabama can play keep away you know if we're looking at look if fans want to know how the game is going if alabama is you know 18 minutes time of possession first half and the game is you know within a score one way or the other you know 17 10 17 14 either way i don't really care that's where Alabama wants to be. You know, 18 minutes time of possession first half because that's going to wear on this LSU team. I mean, it will. So if you can do that, great. And this is the game where Alabama needs to play clean football. And, we, you know, we beat this to death against Texas, but Alabama was in that game leading in the fourth quarter and then Jalen Milrow threw an incomprehensibly bad interception. And the floodgates opened from there. So just play clean. If Alabama can come in, play clean, take advantage of some of the LSU injury situation stuff, which in some cases, as you say, the, the young man with cancer, that's that's just terrible. You know, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But it, that does it does 
provide an advantage that you can take you can take on the football field. So if Alabama is able to do that and stay efficient or get a little bit more efficient, because it's not like the Alabama offense is just shatteringly bad inefficient. It's just it's just 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 inefficient enough to cause headaches in terms of maintaining control of a game. Well, if that can go up a half a yard or can go up a full yard for a game, that's how you beat it. That's how you beat a really good team. That all said, yes, you're absolutely right. Keep Jaden Daniels on the sidelines. And I will say this, if you're a football fan, it's going to be a good game, but buckle up because there's no way this isn't a four-quarter fight. And you might actually get the make the asses quit thing that Alabama fans love so much, Drew. Yeah, it's going to be really, you know, fascinating. I mean, William, I wanted to bring you back in. And, I mean, what do you think the uh, the real keys to the game are for Alabama from the standpoint of, uh, of course, Milrow is going to have to play well, but the trenches are a huge part of this too. The defense, the Alabama, if they're going to win the game, they've got to win it up front. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the biggest, uh, you know, key on, on, on how it, it all gets done out is, um, you know, how they play out on the front. Um, you know, I wish I could sit here and say that I thought Alabama had a dominant front, but they don't. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, they're playing the, you know, the best college football offense that, you know, we, we can all, you know, cook up um, at the end of the day. But, you know, um, let them do it. Uh, you know, my prediction is 31 to 27 Alabama over LSU. Mm. So you, you, that's, I'm, I'm in the kind of the same boat. If I'm going to pick Alabama in this game, and I think I'm going to go with my heart and, and think and say they're going to put uh, they're going to put together four quarters, I would agree. Um, I think uh, uh, yeah, you know that that it's that that if Milrow can take care of the football, uh, and and you know and, and I would say one turnover or less, hopefully none. If he can be spotless with it, Alabama's got a great shot. Uh, but I think no question about it. I think Alabama, if they, uh, there's going to be, a, 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 I think some some benchmarks for me. If Alabama can run the football for you know between 150 to 175 yards, that will go a long way toward providing balance, uh, and it'll be kind of a three-headed monster. Milrow making some plays, McClellan, Roy Dell, even uh, some end arounds to a guy like Debo, aka Kendrick Law. Then I think Alabama. That means they're controlling the clock. Uh, I do think I agree with uh, w- with you, William. I think they have to, uh, you know, get uh, in the 30s, and the, that's been kind of a, a. They did get to 34 with Tennessee. If one of those was a defensive touchdown, and hey, however you can, uh, you know, manufacture it. Uh, certainly, another uh, factor that's going to have to be better is it was the one weakness in the second half. Kool Aid. If it's going to be Kool Aid, if it's going to be Isaiah Bond, you can't give up yards in the punt return game from the standpoint of. You can't, you can't, uh, you know, be letting punts hit the ground. You've got to catch the punt, either fair catch it or get some sort of return out of it. You don't want to be having to drive the length of the field against LSU. Of course, it helps time of possession, but you don't want to, you know, give their defense help by backing yourself up and allow them to stop you and get field position. 
because that'll be death with that offense. So they're going to have to win the game in a kicking game, and I think they can. I think Will Reichert's as good as any kicker in the country, if not the best kicker in America. Certainly, uh, he's bounced back from his injury, but Burnup can help can pin help pin them deep. And Alabama needs to do that. They need to make LSU drive it. Don't give up explosive plays. If they can give up two or less explosive plays in this game and make LSU drive it, then I think they can. They'll have a chance to make LSU kick field goals in this game at times. And that's going to be a key too. A big key is going to be red zone defense for Alabama. Steele did a good job of that a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, or a few years ago, excuse me, in the 19 season against LSU, making them kick some field goals and holding them in the in the 20s. And so I think that's going to be a key in this game. I think Alabama, if they're going to win the game, and I'm going to pick Alabama to win the game, they're going to have to win a 34 to 27 type ball game. I think I'm going to pick Alabama 30, uh, you know, 34 to 27. I picked the the uh, the, the spread correctly as four and a half, but I think Alabama, I would lay the points. I think they can find a way to win by a touchdown uh, with a touchdown late and maybe the defense sealing the deal. But I'm going to take Alabama Thomas 34 to 27. Uh, I'm going to take Milrow, uh, maybe not having the, a game like he did against A&M, which is his best game of the year, but an efficient game, uh, you know, maybe uh, 30 or 40 yards rushing. And then, uh, you know, I'd say three touchdown passes, 250 yards passing, because I think they could take advantage of LSU. But the key is the balance, uh, McClellan, Roy Dell, the r- finding ways to make plays in the running game, and then making two or three explosive pass plays, Burton, Bond, those kind of guys, maybe even a Ja'Cory Brooks siding, who we haven't seen a lot this year. But somebody like you know him, uh, you know Amari Nyblack, Kendrick Law, somebody's going to have to step up and make a big play in this game that we haven't seen at times. Well. So I was already uh, – honestly, I think LSU offense is going to really, really stress some fans out. Uh, and when I started to dig into what was what I thought was going to happen, I was ready to come on and pick LSU. Uh, I really think the LSU offense is that good. But with the injury situation, particularly in the secondary – and I realize I'm, I'm, beating this, I'm beating this drum to death. But with the injuries in the secondary, LSU, their pass defense, which at full freight is 93rd in the country, which is you know not great. That's the weakest part of their defense. It should be even worse if Milrow is accurate. I mean, you could see another Texas A&M sort of performance, except I don't have faith in the LSU defensive line to do what the A&M defensive line did to the Alabama offense for four quarters. Mm-hmm. I think Alabama – I think that that position group is such a mess right now that it's going to have a deleterious effect on the entire LSU defense. I think a basketball and turf game is going to break out. Uh, as, you, as you said, the line is four and a half. The over-under I've seen in the low 60s. I've seen computer models that have it, you know, in the higher 30s actually. I'm leaning into the higher 30s. I think I think the Alabama defense is that good, but I think the LSU offense is every bit, you know, talent-wise right there with them. And I think the LSU defense has so many questions that it's just not – you can't rely on it. And you take a bad defense 
and you have so many injuries, you know, you're forcing a safety in Sage Ryan to play corner, which, heavens to Murgatroyd, good luck. Um, you, you just have, you take a statistically bad defense and force it to reshuffle on a short week when you should be getting healthy, and you have a recipe for disaster. I have Alabama uh, 37-31. I think they're going to cover this game, and I think that the storyline will end up being Alabama's offense has clicked. Now, that's going to be the popular media storyline. I think it'll be overblown. But I just think in the end, Alabama's going to get this win. And, you know, onward we go. If Alabama can get through this game, let's not mince words. Whoever wins this game, to my reckoning, is going to end up in Atlanta representing the SEC West because of Ole Miss traveling to Georgia in a couple of weeks. I don't have any faith in Kentucky. You know, Kentucky will play Alabama tough on the road, and the voodoo hellhole in the Iron Bowl is the voodoo hellhole for a reason. But, but those teams don't have the talent level that Alabama will have to put down should they end up winning next Saturday. So I think they're going to win the game. I think they're going to cover and I think that it's going to be, you know, heartburn hotel because I don't think Alabama is going to play a completely clean game because they have yet to do that this year. But I don't think LSU is going to play a completely clean game either. So, you know, let's, you know, let's do it to it. And uh, it's going to be a fun Saturday night, though, Drew. Yeah, I'm just hoping, to, again, the penalties uh, were, you know, were, were extremely minuscule against Tennessee. I hope it's the same. Uh, which for me, for me would be three or less against LSU. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. Uh, one or less turnovers. Uh, it, it's hard to play a spotless game, so I can handle one turnover. But if they could win, say, the, this time instead of losing the plus minus, um, you know, two to one, win it two to one or three to one, force LSU into some uncharacteristic mistakes, I think that would go a long way toward winning it. And so I'm excited to, to see this game and this challenge. Uh, and I, again, I, I just think this Alabama team. I agree, Thomas. I, the, the road trip to Kentucky is dangerous, but this is a Kentucky team. I know they played better last night offensively, but I think Alabama matches up well with them. Uh, I think they can, and, and plus Kentucky. Uh, we who knows how they're going to finish the season. I mean, they've, uh, you know, they and uh, while he had one great game, uh, Larry has not played great. He hasn't seen a, a defense like Alabama's. So now it is a little dangerous because it's coming right after LSU, but I still like Alabama, uh, you know, to go to Lexington. We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, and then they get Chattanooga before uh, Auburn. So, and again, this is an Auburn team that could be having they, their schedule sets up. If they win at Arkansas, they're probably going to come in on a four game winning streak, but still it's an Auburn team that is not supremely talented. Certainly still going to be very good at home, but, it's a game that I think Alabama has the better team on paper. And if Milrow plays good football, I think Alabama wins it uh, and, and wins it maybe by double digits because this Auburn team is thin and they're banged up a little bit still. So we will certainly see. But those are going to be matchups we talk about later. Want to talk a little basketball. Uh, you know, Alabama's got a commitment from Aiden Sherrill. They're trying to get Darion Reed, another five-star type talent committed. He was going to commit on Saturday, probably would have been to Georgia. That has been delayed, and that's because Nate Oates uh, and assistants Austin Clunch and Preston Murphy are putting in work. I think that's a positive for Alabama. 
they'd like to sign uh, November the 8th is, I think, the first uh, a week from Wednesday to sign players. They'd like to sign at least two, maybe three, but definitely two. And Darion Reed and Cheryl would be huge. Then you might attack the transfer portal in the spring. As far as the, the team, they've lost both their exhibition games, 85-81 to TCU. And then today, uh, they blew a 19-point first-half lead on the road at Wake Forest. They lost 88-80. to But I, I will say they never did, they didn't have Mark Sears, their starting point guard in either game. And he's going to be huge from the standpoint of experience, a double-figure scorer, a guy that can defend. Uh, and is going to be somebody that can keep everybody connected. Having him back will be huge. They also did not have Davin Cosby in either game. They did work uh, Mohamed Wagay and Mohamed Diobate into the lineup today. Uh, both played limited minutes. Uh, Wagay, I saw, I saw this team practice Friday. He is going to be very valuable. He's long, athletic. He's not as thick as Pediaco, but he talks. He's a, a big-time communicator on defense. And as he gets more and more used to playing with this group, he's going to be valuable off the bench in helping defend and play with a lot of energy. I still think uh, Jaron Stevenson did not play well today. He looked very good in practice shooting the ball, and then I think he's going to be a pretty good defender. Not clowning level right off, but I think he's going to get better. And so, and I think, and and, the, and Ryland Griffin did not practice well and then played a little bit better today, but he's a guy that's got to get it going, uh, has the ability to score the basketball. But I think this team has a chance to be deeper than last year, but there's no Brandon Miller who is one of the top, you know, five players in college basketball. I do think they've got a lot of skill, though. Uh, Grant Nelson is legit. He, he's got some uh, some craftiness to his game, can also make threes, uh, and he can play the five as well. I think he can provide rim protection along with Wagay, certainly, uh, you know, and Nick Pringle. Pringle played well today. I still think this Alabama team is an NCAA tournament team. How far, I don't know yet. They're going to have to gel and come together, and they need to stay healthy. But I like Latrell Wrightsell as well. I think this team, again, is a little more skilled. They've got a little bit deeper roster as far as shooting. Because Davin Cosby can shoot it as well. The key is going to be how far they come defensively, because certainly they did not uh, you know, defend very well in the second half today after being up 52-39 to 39 at halftime. But, again, you're working out kinks. You're playing a, a, a Steve Forbes and a good Wake Forest program who may very well, uh, you know, either end up in the NCAAs or NIT. So you you, fit, you you learn some things about yourself. And I still think right now when he's back healthy, the starting lineup will likely be, uh, you know, Aaron Estrada, the transfer guard from Hofstra. He, he, he had 24 today. He played very well in both scrimmages. He had 19 against TCU. You'll have Sears in the backcourt with him. Very likely it will be um, uh, Ryland Griffin at the three at the wing spot. Uh, and then I would think Grant Nelson at the four, Nick Pringle at the five. And then guys like Jaron Stevenson, Latrell Wrightsell, uh, they're going to continue to improve and eventually be parts of this. Or, and they'll be a part of the rotation. And Muhammad Wagee, they're, 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 you know, even Muhammad Diobate, who didn't play much today, he's also a guy that can defend. I still think he's going to be, uh, you know, a bigger part of things as well. Certainly, you know, you'd re you would have loved to have had Javon Quinterly as an experienced guy, another one that can score the ball and can make plays and when and could be a good defender at times. But he's gone to Memphis, so you're having to kind of grow this team. But I still think it's a very a talented roster, and I think it's one that is just going to continue to get better. And Jaron Stevenson, again, 
shoots it free and easy. I think he shoots it better than Clowney at the same stage. But again, the defense and the rebounding, and I think rebounding was a problem today. They've got to do a better job of blocking out, getting Wagee back, or excuse me, Wagee, pardon me, Muhammad Wagee, is going to be key because he's going to be able to provide some of that rebounding along with Grant Nelson. But this team will be a work in progress because there's only three returning guys, four if you count Cosby, who never played. But again, like we said, I mean, uh, Riley Griffin played, Mark Sears played, uh, Pringle, and they're all going to be counted on. But I still think this is going to be a good Alabama basketball team. And, and they didn't play a, a weak sister in, in either one of their exhibitions. They could have. I think it's good to kind of figure some things out about yourself. And I think Nate Oates is in, the, in this new coaching staff, too, that is still getting acclimated. Ryan Pannone, uh, certainly uh, Preston Murphy, uh, you know, they, they're, they're still getting, uh, you know, uh, used to it. And Austin Clark. So this is a staff that will continue to gel. And I, I've always said I still think the key for this team is what they look like in January. So, uh, And certainly Nate Oates, I think he just was uh, – uh, just some quotes have just come across social media. He did say he's disappointed with today's result and uh, how complacent the team got when they were up 19 toward the end of the first half. And uh, he said they have a lot to clean up before next week's season opener, and they do open a week from Monday against Moorhead State. But that's a learning experience. I mean, that, that just shows you. They, they've got to gel. They've got to learn. You can't take your foot off the gas. You've got to continue to defend and rebound. And certainly it's going to be a valuable lesson for this group, no question about it. Uh, but, again, I think that there's, there's still a lot to be excited about uh, for Alabama basketball this season. Uh, and I think, you know, these exhibitions I like a lot, Thomas, because it allows you to learn a lot about yourself. It doesn't count. Because uh, last year, let's not forget, this is a team that went 31-6 or number one in the country. TCU beat them in Fort Worth by 30. So you learn a lot about yourself when you get smacked. And so hopefully this team will learn a lot like that one did and will uh, definitely uh, use that as a fuel to prepare for Moorhead State and get started there. But just wanted to talk a little Alabama hoops, and uh, I was really impressed with what I saw in practice, Thomas, on Friday. And I haven't had a chance to watch anything, but that's excellent. And I'm not – I agree with you that you want to play, you know, tougher teams. It doesn't make a ton of sense to just beat up on somebody, particularly when the Alabama roster has turned over as much as it has. So, I mean, I completely endorse that notion. Drew, I do want to jump back to football real quick and just ask you, you know, this kind of, kind of be our, our, our cool down segment. What do you think of the Michigan sign stealing situation? Well, I mean, I'm not surprised. Harbaugh has always done things, you know, in a gray area. I mean, look at all those satellite camps and all, and, and how he tried to take advantage of that and stretch those rules to the point where they had to change everything. Um, him trying to gain an edge doesn't surprise me in trying to steal, steal signs and stuff. And people have been doing that forever. But to go to the, the links he did, like paying a Division three coach supposedly – to go to games and steal signs, having one of his uh, members of his organization buy tickets to a bunch of games and go watch, that does not surprise me at all. I mean, you know what I'm saying? And, and guess what? It didn't do a damn bit of good because they still lost to Wofford, a.k.a. TCU, and they couldn't even beat TCU in the playoffs. The son of a bitch has never won a playoff game, and I can say that on this podcast, okay? He's, he's 0 for 2 in the playoffs. 
I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and predict something else. His ass is going to be 0-3 if he gets there and can beat Ohio State and they don't choke. And so, and guess what? He's a total ass and he's pissed off the wrong people because that's what happens when you piss off the wrong people, Thomas. All your dirty laundry starts getting aired. And so if this team is, that he's built over there, and he's built a good team, uh, they've started beating Ohio State. But I'm just telling you, if this season falls apart because of all this off-the-field strife, there ain't nobody to blame but Jim Harbaugh because he's the, he's the head of the snake. He's behind all of it. The athlete director has nothing to do with it. Jim Harbaugh runs that football program, and that's why Jim Harbaugh's a prick, and I think he's a good but not great football coach. And in the end, just like Michigan's done so many other times under him, they're going to choke. So I, I'm not willing to go that far. And I want to make a couple of points clear because I do want to give my opinion on this. Um, we don't know. Like, the facts are still being gathered. And I think given the volleys of reportage, you know, this, this is one of those things that every time you, I looked up from my computer this past week, there was some new facet to all of this. So I think at the end of the day, Michigan did do some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, no and, doubt. And here's the pr- – like, I think, I think there need to be two conversations here. One of them has everything to do with next season. To me, next season is going to be very interesting because I think the NCAA is going to come down on them. I mean, they've basically lived in Ann Arbor for – the past week but that wouldn't change this year if I was a Michigan fan I would be more concerned with the college football playoff committee if a group of people is convinced that you're and Michigan has been statistically the best team in college football this year yes they've played a grapefruit and a volleyball as I said last week but they have annihilated the teams they're supposed to annihilate. Like, you can't penalize an, an organization for playing a bad schedule when they beat them that badly. So I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, lose my mind over that. But the problem is, you know, how much, how much of their dominance was superior coaching and how much of it was knowing what in holy hell was going on before it was happening. And there's no way to demonstrate that. I mean, you know, you can't really you – know, there's just – it's not – yes, you can try and spitball. Is it worth two touchdowns? Is it worth three touchdowns? Yada, yada, yada. But that's just not ever going to be the answer you're going to have. So you have to make some sort of baked-in assumption. With that in mind, I think if Michigan loses a game, I think they're out of the playoff completely, not just for the strength of schedule. I think this black cloud will be like, well, they might not be as good as we think they are anyway. So, as I say, I think there are two conversations. I expect Michigan to get absolutely wrecked by the NCAA. I mean, this is that the, the NCAA might be a toothless organization, but they can't yeah. really have this. They really can't. They can't. They cannot have cheating at this scale if the reportage is correct. This year, if I'm a Michigan fan, this is the problem of removing a lot of the computers from the college football playoff committee. Because the reality is, under the BCS system, unless somebody decided Michigan was like the 15th best team in the country, it wouldn't have mattered. But 
because the excuse me because the computers would love them and they deserve their loving. They they are they are a really good statistical football team. Well, now you got 15 people in the room, and I have railed against the 15 people in the room for a variety of reasons since we decided to do that, most of them being that I don't think those people have much intelligence in many cases. But anyway, I can't change that, but I can tell you, because of that circumstance, if five or six people decide that Michigan did cheat and they drop Michigan to six or seven, well, suddenly... Suddenly, Michigan doesn't make the playoff, and all of this crap to get to the next level, you know, the higher level of football, blah, 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 all of that nonsense is for naught because, I mean, this is not a good look, and this is going to be one of the few times in my mind that the NCAA is going to really, really try and slap the organization around. Excuse me. I do think... The other, the, there's a third side, and it's what does the Big Ten do, if anything? But I would be, if I'm a Michigan fan, as I sit at my desk, I am most concerned that if five or six people in the CFP decide that it's not worth it or they cheated so they should not play, because these folks don't have to justify that. You'll, what, at, this is the worst thing that would happen if Michigan comes out and – they're not in the final four. There will be questions. The executive director or the, the chair of the committee will come out and say, rabble, 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 sign stealing, rabble, rabble, rabble. And it will not amount to a hill of beans because it's not going to change. That would be my concern, Drew. And, you know, let's see. <laughs> I, I will say I'm interested to see where this thing goes because it damn sure ain't over. No, of course it's not over. It's going to be a bit, the, one of the biggest conversation pieces Tuesday is how big a distraction is uh, all the, you know, the crap that Jim Harbaugh has brought upon this organization and this university. And it's Harbaugh's fault because, again, he's the one that's allowed this to happen. This is not stuff that's been made up. It's been, they've been caught red-handed. And, again, uh, he pissed off the wrong people because of the way he's reacted. He, you know, Nick Saban gets a bad rap about being so hard to deal with. But Nick Saban is also a politician and knows how to handle things uh, with the NCAA. Jim Harbaugh is just an imbecile. Okay. He's, he's basically a guy that thinks he's smarter than everybody and is just going to thumb his nose at the NCAA. And Thomas, it's just what you just said. You can't do that. Even as toothless as the NCAA is kind of right now, if you continue to poke them, though, and you don't know how to delicately handle things, you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so remember what the Fab Five, what happened with them. They had to vacate everything, okay? And so they've just now kind of reinstated all that and then relationships with some of those guys. Still not really with Chris Weber, but Jalen Rose, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King. Uh, and now, of course, a lot of it helps that, uh, you know, they, they ended up bringing back Juwan Howard as head coach. But, you know, that there was a lot of damage. And remember how bad Michigan's basketball program was for a long time. I mean, it wasn't very good. And so uh, and, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Michigan football going forward because Harbaugh two or three, four years ago couldn't beat Ohio State. I guess it was three years ago. He'd lost five in a row. People were getting ready to run him out of town. And now he's won two in a row. He's gotten to the playoff. And some people think they're the favorite. And maybe they are. I, but I don't think there's a dominant team in college football this year. And so I still don't think Michigan's going to win it. 
And here's another prediction. Ironically, I don't think that uh, Georgia's going to three-peat. I think they're really, really good. Uh, Kirby's done a hell of a job. But it's going to be tough to ultimately run the table again and repeat. And I think, uh, you know, I, I like this Georgia team, but I don't think they're as dominant as the last two years. And so we'll see. And a lot of getting Brock Bowers back is also going to help as well. If Alabama can get to them and play them in the SEC championship game, I think Alabama's got a good shot against Georgia. But see, the thing is, Alabama's got to beat this LSU team. And we all picked L- Alabama to beat LSU, but it's far from a certainty. And I've said this, worry about this LSU game. And then if Alabama can get over that hump, then I think you can start, you know, understanding that they've got a chance to get to Atlanta and uh, play the Georgia Bulldogs. But I also wanted to throw one more thing out there before we uh, uh, wrap up another basketball note. I did want to mention, I didn't, I should have said something more about him. Sam Walters, the freshman, he could be a real X factor for this team. He's already gained, you know, 15 to 20 pounds since he got to campus. He hasn't been counted on as a starter, but right now you could probably say he is the sixth man. This dude in the two exhibition games has scored uh, a grand total of 43 points. He's averaging over 20, and and Thomas, he's already made, uh, you know, I, I believe in the two games combined, 11 threes. He's a lefty. He can flat shoot it. I watched him in practice uh, Friday, and let's just say he ain't scurred. I mean, he can flat rip it. He's probably the best three-point shooter on the team, and he's nearly 6'10". He's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of teams. Still needs to get stronger and work on his, his, his dribble drive game, but he can absolutely shoot the rock. He's a perfect fit for this system for Nate Oates, and I think he's going to have a nice impact as a freshman. If he and Jaron Stevenson, who both have looked better than I thought they would early, if they both settle in, this has a chance for an Alabama basketball team to be an SEC championship contender again. But I just wanted to say, you know, throw that nugget in there. Good stuff from you on the Michigan situation. I threw in my two cents. We appreciate William Redfish Barger for joining us during the show, uh, but we and uh, helping preview LSU. But uh, it's going to be a huge game in Bryant Denny Stadium. I look forward to being there and covering it for 97.7 Zone and being back, being back with you and William on Sunday to. Re- to rehash it, hopefully a huge Alabama win and the signature win of this season and maybe the performance for Jalen Milrow to finally turn that corner and start becoming QB1 that everybody's confident in that he can perform against in games like this. He did okay against Texas but fell short. Since that time, uh, he overcame a bad first half to play well against Tennessee. Now he needs to put four quarters together, and we're certainly going to see if he can do that coming up. Uh, on uh, uh, Saturday afternoon, or should I, should, excuse me, Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, because this is not until like a 6:45 kick on CBS, due to that uh, the the this this year being a, a situation where they have two uh, two games for CBS, an afternoon and a night game. But it's going to be a night game in Tuscaloosa. Going to be a late night, and certainly, hopefully, a good night for Alabama. And we'll rehash it for you. And we appreciate all our Patreon people. Uh, helping us out with BAMS Radio. We love bringing it to you. We appreciate all the support uh, for Thomas the Wizard Watts, for William Redfish Barger. I'm Drew Armand. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. We'll talk to you Sunday and roll tide.